0: Lord, we just thank you that uh, you don't give up on us. There are times when we want to give up, when we really think we can't, but you are with us. Lord, today we're reminded that you are with us in our sorrow, that you are our comfort, that you comfort us now and you've given us a great hope of comfort. You've given us the promise of eternity. Jesus, even now, you're preparing a place for us. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But we know that that place is with you, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, it's going to be a wonderful and marvelous place. So thank you for that hope. Thank you for that comfort. I pray that in this message today that I might be able to, just in some small way, help your people uh, get a glimpse of that great hope that is ours. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I'm going to read from John 14, and I went back and forwards in terms of how much to read from John 14. Uh, But this whole chapter is so rich that I decided at the end to just read uh, three verses today. And Jesus is speaking at this point, And remember, he's teaching his disciples. He's preparing them for that time when he departs. And he says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then we'll look at the, the other verses down through 7, maybe next week, where Thomas replies. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth uh, and the life. But back to verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trouble is an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, it can mean that you walk through the door at your home and your spouse or your parent says, We need to talk. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I remember one Sunday night, I came dragging in kind of late after being out with some college buddies, and when I came through the door, I tried to quickly go back and get in the bed so I wouldn't have a that I'm disappointed in you conversation that I knew was coming. And I heard my mom say, you need to go talk with that boy to my dad. I kind of pulled the covers over my head without even undressing, hoping I could get away with it. It didn't work. That was trouble. There was consequences. Trouble can refer to, to car trouble. It can refer to, I'm having trouble with my plumbing or with my roof. It can mean that your soul is troubled. It can mean that your, your spirit's so burdened by something going on for you or, or a member of your family or, or maybe just something you see going on in the world. I mean, we watch the news and our hearts can be so burdened, so troubled. And the word used in our text is actually a pretty strong word. It's a word that refers to something that's such a trouble that it causes us distress, that it can even cause moments of panic. Actually, the word was sometimes used for something so disturbing that it could even cause a riot to break out. An interesting thing is that the Scriptures never denies the presence of of trouble scripture never denies the presence of trouble in a fallen sin cursed world trouble is inevitable i've never understood honestly how health and wealth gospel continues to make it i mean i know we would like it if turning to jesus just automatically made us healthy and wealthy but anyone who's lived more than a few hours as a christian knows that trouble abounds it's there. Scripture never pretends that trouble doesn't exist. Instead, Scripture meets trouble head on. Job, who was certainly no stranger to hardship, declared in Job 14, 1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. The great prophet Jeremiah asked in chapter 20, verse 18, why did I come out from the womb? to see toil and sorrow, and spend my days in shame. Jesus, knowing that, that we would all face trouble, declared in Matthew 6:34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus understood that days bring trouble. So why did Jesus then say, let not your hearts be troubled? He he said each day brings trouble. Why did he say, but let not your hearts be troubled? Well, again, I don't think he was denying the existence of trouble. But he was pointing ahead to the great promise of Scripture that God is with us. God never abandons us. God comforts us in the midst of our trouble. I think that's why Jesus said back to verse 1, at the end of verse 1, Believe in God, believe also in me. And belief here is really best translated as trust. Trust in me. Belief says, I I believe that pew will hold me if I sit in it. Trust says, I'm going to plop down in it. Belief says, I believe my parents will catch me. Trust says, I'm going to leap off the side of the pole into their arms. Jesus is saying in times of trouble, trust me, trust me. And in the next verses, Jesus is going to speak of our comfort and our hope about heaven, about the future that we have if we trust him. But the promise of Scripture is not just for the future. The promise of Scripture is for comfort in the here and now. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians one, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort." Next, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those <clears throat> excuse me, comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God." Many of us have also learned to lean on the comfort of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This life has its troubles, and those who trust in Christ are not exempt from trouble. But we're promised that the Lord will be with us and he will comfort us in the midst of those troubles. But here in our text this morning, Jesus is very much concerned about the trouble that awaits the disciples, the trouble, the great distress we all experience when we lose a loved one. Jesus' death is hours away at this point as he's talking. And once again, he's preparing the disciples. And this time he's giving them and us the great comfort, the great hope of life eternal, of life after death. Verses 2 and 3 again. In my Father's house are many rooms. And then Jesus says, if that wasn't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. My father's house is another name uh, for heaven. It's called my father's house. I remember the, song, the old song. And it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. Remember that old song that was a popular song? It's a big, big yard where we can play football uh, even. But it's a, it's a big, big house. It's a name for heaven. The word room means dwelling places. And the image here is of a house uh, with many rooms. And it's a reminder that we're going to have intimacy with God in heaven. We're going to dwell with God. This is not so much an, an invitation to speculate about what your room will look like or whether we will play football in the yard. But this is a, an image to think about how intimate we're going to be with God in heaven. That we're going to intimately dwell with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John, in a vision, received a glimpse of heaven. And one of the things he recorded in Revelation 21:3 was this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Beloved, our hope, our ultimate comfort is that there is an eternal place for us that Jesus is preparing even now. He's preparing a place for you and for you and for me and for all those who trust in him. And I agree with what Uh, with Paul David Tripp, who asserts in his book, Do You Believe?, that everyone cries out for eternity. Some just don't realize that they're crying out for eternity. He writes this, the little boy who is choking back his tears because he's been bullied is crying out for eternity. The wife who is devastated by her husband's adultery is crying out for eternity. The old man who is dealing with pain and weakness and loneliness is crying out for eternity. The lonely teenager who just wants to be understood and accepted is crying out for eternity. (coughs) The worker who has been reamed out by his boss once again for reasons he doesn't understand is crying out for eternity the hungry homeless person is crying out for eternity (laughs) somehow some way we all know in our hearts that this is not the way it's supposed to be Some way, somehow, we all long for a better world. And Jesus said, I've gone to prepare such a place for you. (coughs) Excuse me. And I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me. And you will be with me. You'll be with me, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They'll come in, he says, to these days. They'll come an end to the numbering of days as we know it. There will be a final judgment, and those who have trusted in Christ will spend eternity with Christ, and those who have not will spend eternity totally separated from God. Peter spoke of that day in Second Peter 3, beginning with verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... Everything you see will come to an end. It will be dissolved. Even these beautiful mountains that surround us, they will be dissolved. Everything we tend to think of as permanent will be no more. Instead, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for the righteous. That is for those who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. As glorious as and majestic as these beautiful mountains, for example, around us are, God's got even more beautiful ones in store. I can't imagine it, but that's the promise. And Peter gives us a since then statement. He says, since we believe that all this will be no more, since we believe there's a new heaven and a new earth, what sort of people ought we to be? And that's a question I want to ponder for a few moments this morning as we, as we finish up. And I want to look at the flip side. That is, if you and I lose sight of eternity, if, if we forget that this is not all there is, if we forget that one day this will dissolve, if we're not actively waiting for eternity, what implications does that have for us in the here and now? Paul David Tripp, if you want to read more about it, uh, writes extensively about this subject uh, in his book, Forever, and a little bit in the book, Do You Believe? But I want to paraphrase just a a few thoughts. First, if you and I lose sight of eternity, we will have unrealistic expectations of the present. If we lose sight of eternity, we we will have unrealistic expectations of the present. That is, you and I will expect this life and the people around us to give more than they can give. We will unrealistically expect life and people to give us what they weren't designed to give us in the first place. And if we expect too much, you and I are going to be burdened by disappointment. If our ultimate goal is to build the best paradise on earth that we can build, that we can afford in the here and now, it's going to disappoint us every time. You and I know that. We know that in our heart of hearts. We order some toy, we order some technology or some gadget from Amazon, and we're super excited when we get it. But it is not long till we're bored with it and it's thrown over there in the pile with all of the rest of our junk. And I think sometimes one of the biggest disappointments you and I have in life is we expect too much of other people. We expect them to give us something again that they were never designed to give us in the first place. Do you realize that right here, right now, you will never have paradise children? You won't marry a paradise spouse. You won't have paradise parents or paradise boss or paradise teachers and you surely won't have a paradise pastor i'm not suggesting that you not have high expectations of all those people but don't unrealistically expect them to provide something they were never meant to provide I believe with all my heart that our eternal relationship with God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit is going to give us, is the only relationship that's going to give us the longings we all desire. Focusing on eternity reminds us that this broken world filled with broken people just like us will not deliver the paradise so many of us long for. Only our relationship with God And the place Jesus is preparing is going to fill those longings. Also, if we lose sight of eternity, we're going to focus too much on self. Without an eternal focus, we're going to concentrate on us and ours. It'll be about accomplishing or or getting all that we can acquire and accomplishing all that we can accomplish. If we don't have an eternal focus, we can even lose sight of and and no longer care for evangelism. We'll we'll become too busy with self in this world to, to worry about someone else's eternal destiny. You see, focusing on eternity requires us to face the reality that it's not all about us. Max Lucado's study from years and years ago I repeat often in my mind and my heart and it was called it's not all about you it's not all about you we were created to live for something bigger than the pleasure and the comfort and the happiness of this present life and let's be real Self-obsession never works anyway. It never works. Some of the most miserable people I know are obsessed with themselves. Living with eternity in mind takes the spotlight off of us, and it reminds us that we're not in charge, that God's the one preparing a place for us. God's the one who would determine the day that we enter that place. Focusing on eternity leaves us with no choice but to look beyond ourselves. And then if we lose sight of eternity, we're going to lose incentive. We're going to lose motivation. We're going to live godly lives. We're going to lose a sense of hope. You see, eternity gives us reason to keep going even when nothing in our lives seems to be going right. Focusing on eternity gives us hope that that every broken, bent, and twisted, and decayed thing in our lives will one day be restored. Focusing on eternity gives us hope, beloved, that every struggle will end. It will end. Focusing on eternity gives us reason to get up in the morning and to keep going. Because we know this world is not all there is. Losing focus on eternity can also destroy our relationship with the Lord. It can cause us to live in excessive fear. It can cause us to forget that there are consequences, long-term consequences for our actions. I could list more. But here's what I want to say this morning very simply. Jesus is... Preparing a place for us right now. So we too should be preparing right now. We should live with a preparation, not a destination mentality. That is, we don't live here as if it's our final destination, we live here because it's a time of preparation for that place that Jesus has prepared. We're called to live here ever remembering that Jesus is preparing a place for us and He's coming back for us. We're not forgotten. He's got a place and we're going to dwell intimately with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to dwell intimately with the saints that have gone before us. It's not just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's a real hope. Jesus is our comfort now, and he's our comfort in the future. Don't give up, beloved. Don't give up. He is our hope. He is our comfort. Let's pray together. Lord, I know some of the trials of your people. And Lord, some of their trials are are so deep they, they, they don't even share them with others. Only you know them. Comfort them, Lord Jesus. Comfort them. Strengthen them for the days ahead. Fill your people with hope hope that causes them to get up out of the bed again tomorrow and do it again. Even though work is tough, even though the school routine begins to feel like drudgery, fill us with hope. Show us that this life is not all there is and that you're preparing a place and we can't fully describe it, we can't fully know what it is, but it's going to be so much more beautiful than anything we've ever known. And maybe there's one today that's at their wits' end. And I just pray, Lord, that they wouldn't give up. That they'd be willing to say, I can't, but God can. Oh, God, be our comfort. Give us hope. Fill us with that hope and comfort each and every day. Lord, today we come to this table. And it's a great reminder of our hope and our comfort. It's a great reminder of our strength that that You're with us. We pray that You would set aside this table today. Lord, that this table would be holy unto You. That this bread and this cup would be consecrated unto You. That our partaking of this bread and this, this cup would be pleasing unto You. Lord, may it be a reminder that not only did you die for us, but you rose again on the third day and you are preparing a place. Lord Jesus, thank you. As we partake of this bread and this cup, may it cleanse us. May it wash away our sin, including our deep-seated fears. May we be reminded that our hope and our comfort is indeed in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. serving every day just one glimpse of him in glory will the toys of life repay when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that
0: may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless you. Take care.